Thanks for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. For more information about Grace Hill, follow us on social media at gracehill901 or visit gracehill901.com. Uh, today we are wrapping up uh, this sermon series. We've been in the last several weeks called Stretch Too Thin, Finding Rest from a Weary World. And the whole idea behind this series is that in our lives we get stretched too thin. We have these moments where uh, it could be uh, the voice within ourselves, the battle that we fight in our mind. It could be the outside pressures that we face. It could be a myriad of other things. And, and, and they're, they're realities in our life. And so what does Scripture say about how we find rest from those things in our life. And today we're wrapping up this series, uh, and this is going to be speed round. So if you grew up going to church uh, as a kid, and you did Bible drill, and you knew where to flip and go in the Bible really, really fast, this Sunday is your Sunday, okay? You're going you're gonna to reach back into those moments uh, as a kid this morning, and so we're going to cover a lot of ground a few weeks ago, I asked um, uh, our, one, of, one of our friends, one of mine and Kelly's friends, Krista, she's actually right down here, uh, she, Krista actually runs a lot of our social media, so if you connect with us on social media, that is uh, Krista running that behind the scenes, and Krista is a great physical therapist, she's a great personal trainer, nutritionist, and I reached out to her and I said, hey, help me understand a little bit more in depth about uh, nutrition and our bodies and how we feed our bodies and, and, and the effects of not feeding our bodies. Uh, in a healthy way over a prolonged period of time. And she wrote me back on an email and she said, with food, there's a huge difference in calories and nutrients. Calories, which is the unit that we use to measure how much of a substance we put in our bodies. Uh, but she said that not all calories are created equal. Again, there's a difference between intake of calories with a nice Caesar salad this afternoon with some low-fat dressing versus going to Freddy's and getting a triple stack with cheese and, you know, and, and, and a little side of custard. I mean, there's a big difference in those amount of calories. And she goes on to say that nutrients is the actual substance of what we put in our bodies that feed our brain and vital organs to function properly and hopefully optimally if we're getting enough of these nutrients. Calories is the unit to measure energy. Nutrients is the vital substance we need to sustain life. And then she wrote this, and this is powerful. She said, we often are consuming too many calories and not enough nutrients to actually provide basic bodily functions, which is scary. And you know what happens over a period of time if you, if you do this for too long? If you consume the wrong kind of calories and not enough nutrients, you know what happens? Your physical body gets stretched too thin. Now, it may not get thin physically, like mine has you know, been trying to do over the last several weeks, but your body will begin to break down. You may even suffer some potential health crisis, and some of you may have suffered from this, from from just not nourishing your bodies the way that your body needs to be nourished. There are many times when I can personally, after a meal, I can feel full, but on the inside I'm actually starving. I might feel full for a matter of minutes or hours or whatever it may be, but over time, inside, I'm actually starving, and much could be the same in regards to our spiritual lives, is that we are in fact 
full of the things of the world and full of life around us and even full of good things around us, but spiritually inside of us, we are not giving ourselves enough spiritual nutrients to remain healthy and to remain stable in our lives. We are full But inside, we are starving. We're full of different things. It could be schedules. It could be just distractions, a pursuit of a career, uh, raising kids, attempting to have some myriad, some circle of friends in our life that we can connect with relationally. It could be helping our kids with their school and sports. And and literally, on Thursday, I added it up between car lines all the different schools, uh, uh, sports, after school, all the different things. I spent three and a half hours in the car on Thursday. In my car on Thursday. It could be all of the things in life, the next vacation, the next great restaurant that we're excited about, our sports teams, the, the things that make us excited, but they, they make us full on life. They give the appearance of a life well lived and the appearance of of a life that is full. But if we're not giving ourselves the proper nutrients, spiritual nutrients, feeding our, our soul, feeding the spirit that is within inside of us, we will over time actually starve. And I know for me there's, there's a price to pay to change my appetite. There's a price to pay in my life to change my my taste buds and my cravings. And my fear is for many of us, while we may try the latest diet fad, we may try the latest workout craze, whatever it may be, to try to get our physical bodies healthy, are we willing to pay the price to change our appetites so that we can have an appetite For the things of Jesus. And as we're going to look in today's scripture, not only for the things of Jesus, but for Jesus himself. You know, Jesus encountered a few people in in his ministry, in his earthly ministry that's recorded here in the Gospels that had a very, very similar approach. He had a very similar approach to life. They were full on the things of life around them, but yet inside they were starving. And when Jesus confronted them with this reality, we're going to look at a few cases this morning where they were not willing to feed on what was eternal. They were not willing to pay the price, some a a very, yes, a costly price to their own personal satisfaction, their own personal life around them, but they were not willing to embrace As we're going to look in one of the passages this morning, the the bread of life, the eternal food for our souls. So, like I said earlier, we're going to jump around a lot. All the key scripture is going to be on the screen, uh, or you can flip in your Bible around if you want to as well. That's going to be there, or you can follow along in the YouVersion app. And what I've done there, if you go to the YouVersion Bible app at the bottom right corner, uh, you'll see a a, a little kind of a, well, they call it a hamburger icon. Isn't that what they call it, I think? Is, Is that right, Colin? 
icon. Yeah, a hamburger icon. I got it right. There's a hamburger icon. You click on that, and then you're going to see a thing that comes up and says events. If you click on events, it's going to pull up Grace Hill Church, and you can follow along. I've actually included uh, there uh, in the YouVersion app the whole context of the passage of Scripture that we're, that we're going to look at. So if you want to go back later and read it, uh, you can do that, kind of see where things are at. I'm going to talk around some of the Scripture today, and then we're going to look at a few of the key passages. So we're going to jump in. Uh, the first passage that we're going to look at is in Mark 5. And, and let me set the, the stage a little bit for what, what is happening here in Mark 5, for what has taken place. Jesus, this is early in his ministry, and he's been healing people. He, he has just come from this, uh, from, from this incredible passage of Scripture that we look to so often where Jesus walks uh, on, he calms the storm. He calms the, the wind and the waves around. The disciples are scared, and, and he says, peace be still, and, and the wind and the waves. And his disciples say, who, who is this? Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And, and Jesus gets in a boat, and he goes to another area there in the, in, in the region, and he encounters a man that has been demon-possessed. And when he begins to engage with this, this man who has been demon-possessed, and his body's been cut, and he's, 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 he is, he is tormented by these demons, he asks the demon what his name is, and the demon says legion. And many commentators will actually say that, obviously, a legion in Roman times was a, was a, was a group of Roman soldiers that numbered 6,000. So it is possible that, based on the name, that, that this man was, was possessed by somewhere in the neighborhood of 6,000 demons that were tormenting this man. And, and, and he, he, he sends these demons out of the man, and he, he heals the man of this demon possession, and he sends the demons into a herd of pigs that are nearby. And the herd of pigs rush down the, the, the cliff there, and they, they go into the, this body of water, and they all drown. And look what happens in, in verse 14. Verse 14 of Mark 5 says this, So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And you, you would think in this moment, I mean, th this man is probably well-known. I mean, can you imagine someone like this living on your street and, and they come out and they're vile and they're profane? I mean, you may have a neighbor like that. I don't know. But uh, they, they come out and they're vile and they're profane and they, they publicly, they're in chains and they cannot be restrained and they, they cut themselves. And, and this man is, is more than likely well-known in the region and they encounter this man and, and you would think they would say, yes. Jesus has healed this poor man. This is a miracle right in our midst. This has happened. We, we want to follow you, Jesus, and watch what happens. The end of verse 15 says, and they were afraid. They were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him, who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. You see, Jesus healed this man, but, but in the healing of this man, he also reminded the people where true power and true authority came from. It wasn't from 
this demon-possessed, tormented man. It, it wasn't from their financial business because, again, these were Jews raising pigs, which was unheard of. True power and true authority came from Jesus, and they didn't want it. They, they were glad for Jesus to heal the man until they realized that Jesus had done it at considerable cost to their livelihood. They were glad for Jesus to heal the man. They just didn't want Jesus to disrupt their life. They were simply afraid of what Jesus might do in their own lives. And they pushed Jesus away. And this is an astounding thought. Think about this for just a minute. They were more comfortable with a demon-possessed man living in their region than they were with being with Jesus. Because Jesus was a threat to their appetite. Jesus was a threat to what they craved because the cost of following Jesus was higher than what they were willing to pay. They were full on life, but yet they were starving. And Jesus was right in front of him. And they rejected him. And they pushed him away. And they said, we don't want anything to do with this man. Jesus has another encounter with a guy that uh, is recorded in a couple of the different Gospels. And, and basically what we can conclude uh, from, from this other encounter that Jesus has is this. Is that uh, Jesus has an encounter with a man who was very wealthy. He was, he was incredibly wealthy in, in his land. He, he had risen to some type of success and, and had a lot of money. And he was very well versed in the things of God, actually. In Matthew 19, we get this encounter that Jesus has with uh, what one of the Gospels says is a rich, young ruler. And this guy has acquired a lot of wealth, and, and he wants to know what he needs to do to have eternal life. He's got a lot of concerns in the area where he lives, and, and he works, and he plays, and he's got a lot of investment in this, but, but he's also concerned about where he's going. And there's a dialogue that happens between Jesus and this man, and Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. And the young man presses because he's, he's an eye daughter and a T-crosser. This is how he's gotten to this place is he keeps the rules. He's got clarity around what he needs to do. And he says, he presses, and he says, which ones? He wants to make sure he's doing things the right way in his own power, in his own ability, in his own mind. And so Jesus tells him, these are the ones you need to keep. And he says, I've kept all those. And Jesus knows what this man is really after. Jesus is really, the, the man is really after the fact that he wants to be affirmed from Jesus that he has done enough and that he is doing enough to be safe to have eternal life. He wants to know that he has just simply done enough. And so Jesus gets to the heart of the issue like Jesus always does, and he says this. Because the man says, what else should I do? I want to make sure there's nothing else I've missed. And Jesus said to him in verse 21 of Matthew 19, he says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be perfect, go 
Sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Notice what Jesus didn't do. Jesus said, oh, you'll have treasure in heaven, but there was an invitation in the moment to do something that the man did not ask Jesus for, which was this. Come and follow me. Have a relationship with me. Be with me. Change your, change your appetite for the things of the world. Change your, your, your calorie intake for the things that are around you. Give all of that up and come and follow me. You know, Jesus had several of these encounters and exchanges with his own disciples where he asked them to leave behind what they had worked so hard for and to come and follow me. And many times we see they cast their nets or they left their tax collection booth and they went and they followed Jesus. And this rich young ruler, he was clearly, he was smart. But he had, his appetite was for doing in his own power. It, it wasn't for relying on Jesus. It, it wasn't relying on God. And, and he was so concerned about what was to come and making sure that he was safe for what was to come that he missed Jesus in the moment. He had filled his life up with the calories of this world, but he was starving spiritually because his appetite was wrong. There's a book that I recently picked up by a, a professor, and it's a, um, it's, 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 a, it's a really neat book where it, it gives a, a little bit of biography, a little bit of history around uh, the great preacher Jonathan Edwards, but it's also a daily devotional, and he, he mixes in some reflections and thoughts about um, Jonathan Edwards in with some of his sermons, and and one of those thoughts, actually read it yesterday, and the professor said this, you can have everything and yet have nothing. You can have everything and yet have nothing. And this young man fit that description. He had everything. He had kept all of the commands. He had wealth. He had riches. He probably had friends. I mean, if this was a guy that was living in, in 2019, he would have had all the toys. His Instagram uh, account would have made you jealous from the vacations that he took. He, had the, he would have had the cars, he would have had the, the right home in the right neighborhood with the right wife and the kids who just look perfect. He worked for whoever was the best in town or maybe he was the best in town. This is who this man was. He was full and yet he was starving. And just to be clear, Jesus was not after this man's money. He was not after this man's money. He was after this man's heart. And it's the same for you today. Whatever is making you full on the, on the, on the world around you, and, and it could be good things. Jesus didn't condemn this man for his actions. He didn't condemn this man for his lifestyle. He didn't condemn this man for the wrong things that he had done in his life. Jesus never uttered those words. There could be good things in your life that you're feasting on and you're feeding on and they're making your spirit and your soul full 
But inside, you are starving. And whatever it is that is ultimately making you full in your life, Jesus is not after that. He is ultimately after a surrendered heart to him and to his ways and to his will. He is after your whole heart. And the call to forsake everything and follow Jesus. You know, Jesus said that repeatedly. If any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The call to forsake everything and follow Jesus is a call to put God first in all things. What's powerful about this encounter in Matthew 19 is that it was the man's wealth and the man's possessions. It was the things that the man had worked for maybe his entire life to achieve and to earn that ultimately kept him from Jesus. It was the barrier in his life. Not only to a life of following Jesus now, but it was a barrier to his eternal life that he came to Jesus wanting to make sure that he had nailed down. But that is the invitation when we follow Jesus. Is that we deny ourselves and we take up our cross. And we follow him and, and we, we feed on the things of, uh, that he has to offer and the, the things that, that he offers us in our life, not on the cares and the things of the world because ultimately we will become stretched too thin spiritually in those moments. There's, there's one more place I want to take you and, and this is where we're going to land for today. This is John 6, so if you want to go with me to John 6, you can do that. And, and there's a question that comes to Jesus about food. They wanted, the, the people in, in this part of John's gospel wanted Jesus to give him more bread. Why? Because he had just fed 5,000 men. And they were hungry. They were ready to eat again. As many of you are already at 10, 15 in the morning, you're ready to go ahead and eat. You've already thought about your lunch plans. You know what you're putting in your body this afternoon. And you are excited about it. And these people... They had come to find Jesus, but they weren't seeking Jesus. They were seeking the free bread that they knew that he could give out. And what Jesus is going to do in John 6 here is he's going to make a contrast between material needs that we do all have in our life. Try going a few weeks without eating anything materially, physically, and see what happens to your body. But what Jesus is going to do in this passage is he's going to contrast the difference between material needs and our spiritual needs. And what he is calling the people in John 6 to do is to prioritize the pursuit of spiritual needs first. So there's an encounter that happens with Jesus in an exchange and they aren't satisfied with Jesus' answer, and so they press him. They, they, they go a little deeper with Jesus. They want Jesus to get to the bottom of it. It's as, almost as if they're saying, just tell us what we can do so we can get what we want from you. Any of you ever had a kid like that? It's just like, just tell me what I need to do right now. Just tell me how I need to obey so that I can get whatever it is that I want from you right now in this moment. You see, they wanted the provision, but they did not want the provider. And finally, they just they come clean and they just confess. And they say what they're really after. 
Verse 34 of John 6 says this. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. They're they're talking about material bread. God, we want this. Give us this bread. This is what we want. This is another one of those moments where if we're not careful, we can fall into the same trap as these people who were so close to Jesus. They get so concerned here, literally, about the the physical calories that they they would eat. But we can get so concerned about the the temporary, momentary things that we're, we're feeding on, what our appetites are for this world. Those temporary, fleeting areas of our life that seem to matter so much right now. Lord, give us this bread always. But in the end, they are forgotten tomorrow. And you are hungry again. And Jesus is about to give an answer to these people in John 6. And it's the same answer for each and every one of us today. Verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. And for a a first century Jew, hunger and thirst were two of the primary concerns about a daily life. Where were we going to get our food? Where were we going to get our drink? And then a third primary concern, and Jesus uses this metaphor as he teaches through the Gospels as well, is How are we going to be clothed? And Jesus invites these people to come and engage with him in a way that is different. He says, I am the bread of life. You see, Jesus in John 6 here, he promises to not only be your provision, but he also promises to be your provider. And that is something that the world can never offer you. That is something that no matter how great of a Netflix binge watch show that you want to watch, no matter how great of a career that you have, no matter how big of aspirations you have in this life with your family and all of the good things, there is nothing that can compare because only Jesus can be our provision and our provider. And Jesus, in this in this exchange with these people, promises, it's the same promise that he gives to you today, is that he promises to give you a new appetite. An appetite for the things of God because he invites you to come and to feast on something that is different. So then the question becomes, well, how do you, how do you know if you have an appetite for the concerns of God? I, w- I want to give you just a couple real quick. The first one is this, is where do you spend your time? Evaluate, where, where, where do I spend my time? And I don't just mean physically, I mean mentally. Do you, do you mentally think about the things of God and, and, and do, you, do you concern yourself with, with what God has written and given to us in His Holy Scriptures? 
Are you prioritizing the time to be with other believers, or, or is it only when it's just convenient for you and you have to schedule it three or four weeks out in advance to fit into your appetite of life? Are you prioritizing a relationship with Jesus through prayer and community and worshiping together? Another area of where we can identify what, where, we're, where we're, we're feasting on and whether or not we have an appetite for the things of God is we can look at our money. And you say, oh man, of all the days I picked to come to church, they're talking about money. Jesus talked about money more than any other single subject in the Gospels. He said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so if our money is not aligning with, with the concerns of God, if we don't have an appetite for the things of God in relationship to our money, then again, we're probably not in line with where God would want us to be. Are you, are you giving sacrificially from your finances? Are, are you giving, as, as somebody in the church told me a few months ago, they, they said, we want to give to the point to where it hurts to give. It hurts when we, when, we, when we set up that online giving or we write that check and we just say, ah, the things that we could do, but we're entrusting that over to God. We're entrusting that over to his church to advance his mission and his kingdom out of our obedience and our sacrifice. Here's a third thing. Are you concerned about the people who don't know Jesus? One of the, the passages that I cut from this message today, because nobody wants to listen to me talk for 45 minutes. One of the passages that I cut was John 4, the woman at the well. And it's such a powerful exchange because you think about the, the racially charged environment that we live in today, and, and it's as if Jesus steps right into the heart of that racially charged environment in the first century and gives us a model for this. And his disciples, after this encounter with a Samaritan woman, his disciples come to him, and it's a similar exchange. He says, they said, you should eat something. And he said, I, I, I have food for my father. My, my food is to do the will of my father. And like so many times, they're like, what, what does Jesus even mean by this right now? And Jesus in that moment calls them to look at a Samaritan village with a woman who has had five husbands and now she's filled her life with the pursuit of affection from another man. And she has gone into the village and she says, come see the man. Could this be the Christ? And they're coming. And Jesus has his disciples look and he says, look, the harvest is ripe. Are you concerning yourself about, with the people who don't know Jesus? And there are two words here that give us some hope. If, if you kind of do this self-assessment and you go, whoa, I'm i got some room to grow. My appetite needs to change. My diet needs to change. I, I need to begin to feast on the things of God more than I'm feasting on my, my own passions and my own desires and my own aspirations. There are two words that Jesus gives us here in this John 6 passage. He says, come, and he says, believe. You come to him, and when you come to him, you're confronted with your pride. 
When you come to Jesus, you're confronted with the, the, maybe the lack of time that you've been investing in your relationship with him. When you come to Jesus, you're confronted with the, maybe the lack of the, the, the management of the, of the resources that he's given you and how you're investing those into his kingdom. When you, you come to him, you're confronted with the idea that maybe your worship, when you come together in a corporate setting like this, in an environment where we come and we sing the praises of our God together, maybe it's been more lax than it has been energetic and enthusiastic. When you come to him, you come to him and you're confronted maybe with the, the lack of engagement on a regular routine basis in his word and through prayer. And then the idea of believe. You, you, you simply believe that Jesus is who he says he was. That, that scripture shows us that over and over and over again. And believe, much like the rich young ruler just could not allow himself to believe, and much like the, the people who had seen this incredible uh, demon-possessed man be healed and, and, and maybe their financial security taken away from them, you believe differently than those two groups of people. You believe that your life is truly in his hands forever. So the question would be today is this, is would Jesus be enough for you? Would Jesus be enough for you? Would Jesus be enough for you if, if, if there was one meal that you could eat for the rest of your life? You know, last night at home, I, I cooked um, steak. And we splurged last night because for the last four weeks, we've been really trying to eat healthy. And we've been... Some days it feels like we're starving ourselves. And so we splurged and I bought a filet of salmon as well. And I cooked a sirloin steak and a salmon filet. I could eat that every meal for the rest of my life. And is Jesus enough? And I'm not trying to be you know, silly or, or joking, but, but just get this in your mind for just a minute. Is Jesus enough that you would desire him so much that that is what you feast on for the rest of your life? That your life aim and your life pursuit is to honor him, to make him known, to, to, to glorify him with, with, your, with your time and with your resources. Is, is Jesus really enough for you? Would you come to Jesus and would you believe in him today? You guys have heard me. I'm going to close with this. You guys have heard me mention Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, incredible uh, pastor, communicator. Pretty much any pastor that you know that has had an influence on your life, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has probably influenced his life. He was the pastor at Westminster Chapel from the 1940s all the way through the 1960s in England. And I make it a pretty regular habit to read some of his sermons and listen to his sermons. Actually, the Martin Lloyd-Jones Trust, this is powerful, they just put together a podcast 
of all of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermons while he was at Westminster Chapel, and they're releasing them one week, one message at a time. In Ephesians 1, he preached 38 messages on Ephesians 1 alone. It took him three and a half years to get through the book of Ephesians. But in one of the, the sermons that I recently read, there's a book called Setting Our Affections Upon Glory, and, and it's, a, it's a book of a collection of actually after he retired from Westminster Chapel, and he was giving some lectures to some seminary students. And this was part of his sermon that he closed out at a, in a passage that he was teaching in 1 Corinthians. And he references a, um, a hymn writer, Horatius Bonar. And the hymn says this, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give. The living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink to live. And you have to imagine Dr. Lloyd-Jones communicating this in that thick Welsh accent that he had. And he said, and he rolled his R's. Wouldn't it be so cool if you could preach? I mean, you know, like that's the way he talked. It was amazing. And he said, remember the invitation. Our Lord invites us to drink. Why does the world refuse? Well, the explanation is given in the last line. Stoop down and drink and live. Stoop down is the problem. Everything the world needs is there in the gospel. The fountain was opened on Calvary's hill. There is water of the word of life. Everything you need. But you cannot drink from a fountain standing upright. Before you drink, you have to bend on your knees or you may lay prostrate on the ground. You must stoop down and drink in order to live. And the moment your parched lips touch that cooling stream, everything is changed. But modern men and women will not do this. They prefer to stand and stagger on their feet in their inability and go to hell. If they would just become like little children and stoop down and drink, they would be able to join Horatius Bonar in saying, I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. Let's pray together.